0: Hey everybody you're listening to episode five of eight minute movies alienated a podcast talking about the 1979 movie alien in eight minute chunks presented by me kieran and the other host peter host is a, <laughs> a deliberate wordplay on my part it's going to be very relevant for today
1: how are you doing peter oh deep and crisp and even thank you and how about you those are all words that can be applied to a pizza. Um, well, um, of course they were taken from the song "Good King Wenceslas," uh, well, which is about a pizza. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I knew, I knew where, where, where that strange. Uh,
0: I mean, oh yeah, it's definitely seasonal. What with it being July. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I I hope you're
1: over it soon <laughs> and uh and how are you uh I have very good news have you found the forks I found the forks oh uh, thank goodness does that count as um
0: uh, I, I don't know we're resolving a cliffhanger what's the
1: what's, what's the story term for that um I, I don't know, but I like that there's this kind of side story that we've had, um, keeping people in suspense for the last week. Oh, blessed be, the forks are back, and yeah. now I may eat. So, how? What? What was the solution? Um, well,
0: you know how I posited um, magnets, or possibly alien abduction. W- was it neither of those? Um, no. I'd put them slightly to one side while doing the washing up, um, and they'd been covered by the washing up tray.
1: So the, the the solution was what I said: you you'd put them somewhere weird while washing up, and now don't know where they are. Well, I I didn't say that you were
0: wrong during mm. the last podcast, I, and I I don't think you get to sound. So smug about it. You're not Poirot. <laughs> I solved the crime. I... <laughs> he, you didn't Columbo just one more thing your way out of this
1: one. Look, all I'm saying is what I said probably happened to them is what happened to them.
0: Indeed, indeed. <laughs> it was true.
1: I'm not saying I'm a genius. I'm just saying that um, we should test further whether i might be a genius <laughs> <laughs> look um genii aside i'm just
0: happy that the people keeping the wiki up to date uh can now resolve the fork saga yeah um aside from that i'm doing fine it's a lovely warm afternoon um and i'm indoors recording a podcast in silence <laughs>
1: You know what, last time we didn't talk very much, uh, forks aside, about what we've been up to, and I think we do have actually something to talk about. Oh, yes, that's that's true. What should we talk about? Uh, well, we have both been
0: playing a game, the same game. Oh, yes, we have. Do you know what, I made a note to mention this, and then I closed the note without reading it. I'm not very... organised. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, We've been playing Operation Tango, which is a two-person, online, co-op, spy-em-up. Oh, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. I'm going to stick with that.
1: Spy-em-up, yeah. Uh, So, basically, in this game, one person is playing the infiltrator, the spy, and the other person is playing the uh, the kind of man on the outside the hacker look trying to assist the spy on the inside
0: mm. uh, and i um the game is a real delight um so you you start off you pick a player and you pair up with them only, only one of you has to pay for the game uh, because it has a friend pass feature which lets you just play with somebody else which is not nice it's a nice feature yeah um and one of you is the hacker and one of you is the operative and you can't see each other's screens and you have to talk each other through things. So, you know, you'll as the operative, you have to tell the hacker what doors to open to get you through things. Sometimes the operative can interact with things in the real world that helps the hacker get through virtual obstructions. And it's just so well done. The game is so slick and has so much polish. I've I've been having a great time with it.
1: Yeah, it generally sets up all of these situations where you both have about 50% of the information or 50% of the ability to act on the information, Mm. and so you have to kind of coordinate your activities. But it does this in a a wide variety of ways. Um, One of my
0: favourite puzzles so far involves sending a hacked Roomba to its death. (laughs) Yes.
1: In order to, um, well, I don't want to spoil. Yeah, let's not do let's it, not cause spoil actually, it, but uh, because uh, that's actually part of the puzzle. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's very very satisfying when you when things work out. Occasionally frustrating when things aren't working out, but uh, yeah. usually not for that long. Yeah, there's one sort of puzzle that I don't enjoy, but um, <laughs>
0: we can usually work through it. Yeah. Uh, it is a great game, I wish it was more players but I super understand why it isn't <laughs> Yes <laughs> just just The model
1: just wouldn't work with more players I suppose you could have like a versus mode Would mm, that work interesting. Versus mode. Anyway, um, ideas you know, for the future
0: The only thing I'm worried about with it is um, replayability because um, I have replayed the first mission a few times with a couple of people and it doesn't nothing really changes So um, (laughs) you know what to do and you do it, but I I suppose that's the downside to that sort of game, I guess.
1: Yeah, and I reckon you could get... uh, So we've been alternating being the spy and the hacker Mm -hmm. as we've been going through level by level, and I would be happy to do it again at some point, but the... Alternating the other way, so we're yeah. seeing the other half of it.
0: Yeah, no, no, that that's that's definitely it. But I feel like once you've seen both, then maybe you've seen everything it has to offer. But maybe you know, maybe it'll, they'll add more content. It, yeah. yeah, it's um, I, I I feel like I ended that on a negative note, but like yeah. I I can't recommend it enough. It's really great. Everyone I've played it with has loved the experience.
1: Yeah, no, it's it, it is really great, and you know personally, I I just think that sometimes it's nice to have a thing which you play and is really enjoyable for a while and then you never have to play it again you can just be done with that part of your life and, <laughs> and maybe revisit it at some point many years to come yeah I'm, I'm happy for it once we once we're through it i'm happy for it to just kind of be done Yeah, uh, w- speaking of replaying it later in
0: life made me think of archer and kestrel
1: Ah uh, yes. Uh, so, <laughs> what is that? Splinter Cell Conviction? Is that the right one?
0: Yeah, yeah. Me and Pete used to play the co-op mode in Splinter Cell Conviction a whole bunch, and um, oh, that was great as well at the time. Yeah. Um, one of the mechanics of that game is the ability to mark enemies and execute them. So you're operative that you're playing will just shoot them in the head and they'll die um without you having to carefully laboriously aim which feels appropriate considering you're supposed to be playing someone who is a you know like a a, an extremely well-trained government agent they should be able to do that without relying on you doing it with your clumsy controller fingers
1: yeah the the idea is that you kind of set up these situations where you can just very quickly clear a room without an alert being uh sent out and which we would do to mixed results. I would never say that we were great at that game but it it was a whole lot of fun. And it certainly it certainly was fun
0: and I, it came out in 2010 I think. Um and we tried to replay it more recently and oh boy was that ever fraught with difficulty because as as happens with modern games the servers and things had been turned off slowly over time Uh, so it 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 was technically possible to play but only after installing vpn software that put us in the same vpn and pretended we were playing a lan game
1: (laughs) yeah you, you can't really get it working without basically Hacking into your router. Yeah you, yeah, you 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 need administrator privileges
0: before you're playing this game. <laughs>
1: uh, it was uh, maybe it's just time to put that game to bed. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: I, I I hope it gets a remake at some point in the future because I I really did enjoy it.
1: Yeah, uh,
0: one of, uh, one of my favourite things about it, like like weirdly enough, is um. Well, it's it's always been a feature of the Splinter Cell series is incredibly weird, misplaced advertisements.
1: (laughs) Right? Yes. So, know where you're going with this?
0: Yeah. In Splinter Cell, in Splinter Cell: Conviction, uh, there's a level where you're you're going through a fun fair, and uh, you know you're going to meet a contact there, and then you have to sneak out and some other things. And in the fun fair, it is is a stand. Like, you know, a a commercial stand selling Phyllis Shave razors. Mm. Gigantic, massively oversized Phyllis Shave razors that you could see from the moon. Phyllis Shave razors that are indestructible. When you shoot them with your guns, nothing happens.
1: (laughs) Very strong. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Oh boy, whatever did that teach you? Yeah, I mean, that's obviously awful, but they have a storied history of this. Like, like one of the earliest games, I think it might even have been Splinter Cell, there's a a bit where a whole city is hit by an EMP. It's a Tom Clancy thing. There are EMPs, And um, all the lights in the city go out. Like, you've got this shot of the city and everything fades into darkness. Except for a blimp, which slides in from left to right. Yeah. With the Airwaves logo on it.
1: Yes, the, the <laughs> Airwaves blimp, which I, I think, in fact, was in Splinter Cell 3, possibly. <laughs> Chaos Theory. I think that was the one. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, boy, wow. It. it...
0: <laughs> It is the single worst piece of product placement I've ever seen. It will. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine if Robocop stopped halfway through the film, turned towards the audience, and said, "Drink Coke." That would be. <laughs> that would be on a par. Um.
1: <laughs> yeah, Airwaves, of course, famous for their blimps that they <laughs> um, fly across the city. Fuckers um, don't even own a blimp. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, and not the only. Uh, of airwaves, of course, during the course of the game, but others are just slightly more understandable, like uh, I think there's a situation where Sam gets onto a chopper and then just uh, just pops a couple of airwaves, you know, sometimes it, you just want is, a refreshing treat when, when is, you Is that true? Does that happen? I don't remember that. I, I, I think so, yeah. I wow. I remember him <laughs> handling a packet of airwaves at some point. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but but that's that that's something you might do, right? Yeah. When... <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, he's a spy. He probably needs fresh breath. Yeah. Exactly. You don't want people identifying you by your bad breath smell before you've even snuck up on them. I realise we're getting
0: multiply off topic here, but um, have you played any of the recent Hitman games? Uh, I haven't,
1: uh, it, and. <sighs> You know, it's always been the sort of game which I always feel like I want to watch more than I want to play for some reason, I don't know mm. why, but I I've never quite wanted to dive in myself.
0: So then the um I had the originals like a while, you know, whenever they came out a long time yeah. ago. And uh, I could never get anywhere in them cuz there's always um there's always stuff happening in the mission that you can use to assassinate your targets. Um, but you have to kind of figure it out and follow it through um, without any sort of guide for that. And in the newer ones, they've added these things called opportunities and mission stories, mm. which means that if you want that additional layer of help where you can say, look, I'm not going to be able to figure out how to assassinate this guy, how to sneak into this castle on my own, can you give me some clues? And it'll like, sort of handhold you a bit through it. And like it makes the game a lot easier and, and a lot more fun, in my opinion, because you get more... You can see all the different opportunities you're missing and try out different combinations of things. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so, you know, I would say go back and try them, like the new ones, um, e- even if you didn't have much success with the previous ones. But yeah, the, the...
1: I probably will try them at some point, but the other thing that... Um, uh, the, the, the other thing that I don't know whether will work for me or not is... I usually ju- I usually I just play a game once and then I'm done with it I'll maybe if I really liked it I'll go back and I'll replay it, it a few years from now but I I don't I'm not someone who tends to just go through games and try it again and again in a lot of different ways um, you know um, I'll uh, if, if I really like something then years later I'll I'll go back to it but that's about it but the But Hitman feels very much like a game which wants you to replay the same level over and over again in lots of different ways.
0: Yeah, do you know what? That that is is so built into the structure of the game that at the end of each level, it tells you that. It says to you, you have finished this level, but in order to fully experience it, go back and play these other two or three mission stories and it's it's now you can never do all of them in one mission so yeah yeah. to play it you have to play each level at least twice yeah and and they're they're fun like they're they're fun to do but like uh, i was trying to chase all of them on one of them because there were like eight or something and it was really interesting at first but it started to drag (laughs) Yeah, as i've gone back through the level for the fourth time to catch the last one yeah um yeah, the reason I'm bring up Hitman um, is in relation to Sam Fisher's Fresh Breath.
1: Um, and the then... reason that we brought that up, where did that come from? Um... <laughs> no, don't follow it all the way back. <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: okay. So the reason the reason I bring it up is because um, there is a bug in Hitman that they uh, they found in QA and decided to keep because they liked it. Um, huh? one of the melee weapons you can pick up and bring into the level with you is a fish. Like a, like a fish that you can throw at people, hit people with.
1: Oh, a fish, cool. you
0: know. Yeah. Um, and there was a feature planned where if you have the fish, people tell you that you've got bad breath if you're standing near them. Ah. Uh, but they, they didn't put in the code that triggers that. So everyone just tells you that you have bad breath if you're standing near them. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I found in QA and just kind of thought it was funnier and kept it. This ter- <laughs> terrifying suave assassin and everyone's like, Do you want a fucking mint or something? Jesus, what do you eat?
1: <laughs> Although like <laughs> moving back a layer in this weird <laughs> kind of diagnostic inception that we <laughs> that we've got ourselves into. <laughs> 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 um, like if you were Sam Fisher. I, I reckon that the smell of airwaves would be more noticeable at a distance. <laughs>
0: oh you you, than, you you think you think airwaves are a tactical disadvantage.
1: Yeah, they, I think they'd be more noticeable at a distance than like slightly bad breath. <laughs> um I think if you suddenly started smelling mint on the wind. you like, "Oh, menthol, what's that? It's lovely." Right. Snap. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Oh, dear. Well, again, moving moving back up a layer into the dream, um, um, it's funny that you mention two-player asymmetric co-op games,
1: Peter. Uh, Well, yes, it is, because, of course, um, we made one.
0: Top work. (laughs) Yes, we indeed released a game at last. It took a long time, but it's out now, and it's called Fix Fix Bang Bang. Uh, I think we discussed it on Here's the Thing, but we didn't finish it on time because, what the fuck are deadlines, you know? And you describe it, Peter. You, You go for it.
1: Yeah, so it, it, it's a game where you are flying a spaceship, it's a kind of 2D pixel art style game where uh, one player is a pilot going in a sort of vertical scrolling shoot 'em up in a traditional kind of arcade style. Uh, and on the right side of the screen, uh, you uh, the other player plays the person inside the ship um, who has to go go around and interact with the various consoles to keep everything in working order as the ship takes damage. And as the ship takes damage, it starts to affect what the um, uh, the pilot is able to do and is able to see. Uh, and uh, there's various aspects where they have to keep in Con- in, in communication with each other in order to um, make it through the level, so it's uh, it's just a fun little co-op game that you can you, you can play if you like. And we'd we'd
0: absolutely love it if you checked it out. Um, it's available on SurprisedMan.itch.io or SurprisedMan.co.uk. Don't worry if you can't spell surprised. Um, I had to buy both domains because a lot of people can't spell surprised. Um- <laughs>
1: Yeah, and it's uh, it's something that if you would like to give us uh, money for it, that you have that option on itch. But if you are unable or simply unwilling to give us money for it, then we would be delighted for you to just play it and uh, and let us know what you made of it.
0: Yeah, we'd love for you to give it a try. I think this episode is my favourite episode of the series so far for two reasons um and they're both related to new viewers coming in and thinking a wow that was the longest thing ever to set up a plug for their own video game who are these fiends and b they they're ha- 22 minutes in they haven't mentioned alien yet no
1: no <laughs> and What's more, we're not going to... That's not true, we are going to mention <laughs> Yeah, g- goodbye everybody, thank you for listening.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, okay, I guess all of that is over with, um... Boy, uh, let's introduce the concept. It's your turn, Peter. That's not true. <laughs> Fuck, I thought I'd get away with it. Yeah. Alright, so let's do the fast version, because boy did we overburn that intro. Um... This is a podcast which is talking about the movie Alien. I have sliced it up into little eight-minute chunks. We are going to talk about each of the eight-minute chunks. That's it. Wow, is there more to it than that? Yeah, I mean, I usually say that you are... Oh, yes, of course. (laughs) yeah, Yeah, I have watched Alien a lot. Peter haven't watched Alien a lot. And... Therefore, there is a difference between us, which we are seeking to equalise through this process.
1: Yes. Uh, by the end of this podcast, we are both going to be very familiar with the film, whether we like it or not. I'm not convinced equalitise is a word. I was just going to gloss over that, but I'm, I'm glad that you owned up to it. All right, Let's move into the
0: section of the podcast called for historical reasons, let's not talk about The Thing, a bit in which I talk about something which is tangentially related to the movie, but
1: not directly the movie itself. What, Kieran, do you have for us this week? We're going to be talking about John Hurt. Alright. What about him, Kieran? That's quite aggressive. (laughs) Yeah,
0: sorry. I don't know what came over me. (laughs) Sir John Vincent Hurt was an English actor whose career spanned over five decades. He came to prominence for his role as Richard Rich in the film A Man for All Seasons, 1966, and gained BAFTA Award nominations for his portrayal of Timothy Evans in Ten Rillington Place, 1971, and Quentin Crisp in his television film The Naked Civil Servant, winning his first BAFTA for the latter. Have
1: you seen uh, Ten Rillington Place, uh, Pete? No, I mean, uh, I haven't really seen very many films that John Hurt has been in. Uh, Ten Rillington Place
0: is a dramatisation of the story of John Christie who's considered one of England's first serial killers. And the film was notable in some ways uh, I mean it was dramatically very well received but also um, there's a scene where they find the body of one of his victims and they shot it in the actual place the body was found.
1: Oh wow. Uh, so, realism! Uh- <laughs> They must have done that with some Jack the Ripper stuff though as well in uh, over the
0: years. Well, that's a good point. They probably have. But the difference here is that um Christie did his killings in the nineteen fifties and mm. the film was made in the nineteen seventies. So that's twenty years. Um It's very fresh. That, yeah, it's it's like that is not a a long time really when you consider the shadow cast by a serial killer. Mm. Hurt was regarded as one of Britain's finest actors. Uh, director David Lynch described him as simply the greatest actor in the world, saying he had the most distinctive voice in Britain. His voice was likened by the observer to nicotine sieved through dirty moonlit gravel. <laughs> okay. It, I'm, I'm sure it's a compliment.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's,
0: it's unclear. <laughs> a backhanded compliment. Yeah. Um, He was knighted in 2015 for his services to drama. Uh, A fun little aside for us here, Uh, John Hurt almost didn't appear in Alien. He was offered the role but had to turn it down as he had a prior commitment to the film Zulu Dawn in South Africa. Uh, John Finch was cast in his place in Alien. Hurt wasn't allowed to travel to South Africa because they'd mixed him up with the actor and activist John Hurd, who was vocally against apartheid and banned from South Africa. Unfortunately, back at the Alien production, John Finch became gravely ill on the first and second shooting days and had to be taken to hospital. He was released from the production, and this serendipitously let Hurt pick up the Alien role. All right. Quite a confusing sentence with uh, John Hurt, John Finch, and John Hurd. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yes, that's all I have to say about him. Now, we, at this point, come to something of a dilemma. Previously, we had a game involving a bell, which works like this. We are both listening like hawks for the other person to say the word the thing or things or thing, um, not within the context of the name of the film we watched previously, the creature from that film or the context of the game itself. And we would ding a little bell. However, we record this podcast over Discord and Discord has updated the software to not pick up the noise of bells.
1: <laughs> yeah, you can record it but only if you're saying ding at the same time. Shall we shall we go for a say ding ding ding? Uh yeah, let's let's try that. Ding. See that works? <laughs> So so now we
0: have to remember to do two things which frankly makes the game even less likely to occur in a given episode. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, with all that, it's time for us to get ready to start watching the next section of Alien. So, Peter, again, we usually have some questions for you that we ask at the end of each section and we're going to go over your answers from last time as we normally do. So we said, who's infected? And the answer you gave was nobody except Ripley with a sense of dread, Ash with a desire to complete his secret mission, and the
1: derelict. <laughs> yes, the, the ship as a whole. <laughs> the, infected with... Eggs. Eggs. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point.
0: I, I was looking for something more metaphorical, but no, it, eggs. Just eggs. eggs works. Yeah, yeah, just eggs. <laughs> Fucking stuffed with them. Um, what happens next? You say... Kane looks at the eggs, takes his helmet off, and nasty jumps out of the egg and attaches itself to his face. Mm. Later there's an argument about quarantine. Ash insists they let them back on the ship. Ripley is not as keen, but Ash gets his way. So do we do we compare your
1: results here to what you what you said would happen to what actually happened? Yeah, so I, I think I'm mostly happy with this. Yeah a couple, yeah. A couple of the details I got wrong.
0: This is, a, this is a 9 out of 10 answer, I would say. Um, yeah. And I do say because I'm keeping score. Uh, the only difference is he doesn't take his helmet off, but we'll find that out for ourselves soon.
1: Yeah, for some reason I really remembered him being that incompetent and taking his <laughs> helmet off at this point. Um, uh, but he doesn't do that, which uh, honestly I was kind of relieved that he w- wasn't quite that bad at his job. Um <laughs> We'll get on to other mistakes he makes later later on. Um, And the other thing that I got slightly wrong is that I I didn't remember that it wasn't exactly Ash disagreeing with Ripley about opening the airlock or not. Although it is Ash who will kind of uh, make the decision, basically, in the end by... um, by opening the door.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I was going to say we're not here to nitpick, but um we very much are. That is the purpose <laughs> yeah, of this no, that, of that this ex- form. <laughs> yeah. And the only other question we asked you is who dies next and you said Kane. You think you think Kane's going to make it through this one?
1: Yeah, and as I, as I said, uh I don't think he's going to uh, uh to die during this uh section and uh I'm I'm happy with that. Prediction as well.
0: All right, well, let's get watching. That's the new catchphrase. <laughs> So, we're back. We'll be watching minutes 32 to 40 of Alien. As always, not a watch-along podcast. Stop doing it. Stop watching it along with us. Watch the movie, listen to the podcast, don't do both at the same time. That's weird. How this section works is that I have prepared a bulleted list of action points. Things that summarize eh, 10 to 30 seconds of stuff happening on screen and I'll read through that list, and if me or Peter want to chip in with something we think about each of those points, we will do that. Or, we will not. Right, let's get on with it. Kane is lowered further, and reaches the base of the cavern. So, as we mentioned last time, this is the same set as the Space Jockey set, which has been redressed. Hmm. Um... If you look at the concept art and um, Giga's diary for the film, uh, there were actually supposed to be massively swollen, sort of pregnant bellies on the walls, made out of the same sort of like dark material with shoots leading down to the ground, clarifying where the eggs actually come from. Right. Um, but. We might be getting ahead of ourselves here because um, this is one of the points of the largest divergence between the original script and the finished movie. Originally, the Derelict didn't have any eggs on it whatsoever. What, in actual fact, the crew found on the Derelict was the body of the space jockey and carved into the thing in front of him as if with his dying breath a triangle on the like control panel in front of him hmm. and so the crew ponder on this and as they're doing that the storm which has been plaguing them lets up a little bit and they see a pyramid on the horizon
1: hmm, and uh, and they head there?
0: Yeah exactly so let me get the description um, of the pyramid for you from uh, Dan O'Bannon's uh, notes here and it says uh The pyramid is ancient, primitive, and clearly of a different design to the derelict. We're dealing with a different alien here. The dead ship appears to be visitors from elsewhere, but the pyramid seems indigenous. Walking around it, they find no entrance. Any entrance must have been buried in the shifting sands of time. So Kane uses his climbing gear to crawl to the top of the monolith where he finds an open shaft going straight down. So again, we've got that thing where he's being lowered into a space. like That made it through. Really? um but they they're still cut off from communication with the nostromo and on the nostromo Ripley has at this point decoded the message and all it says is do not land <laughs> right kane goes down to the bottom of the shaft and he finds like a temple like a shrine um filled with eggs much as he's doing here but on the wall um there's a gigantic hieroglyph And I feel I should send you the hieroglyph now and you say whether you feel like removing it from or leaving it in the film, whether you think it would have had a difference. Okay. So, I mean, obviously, if I asked you who made that, you'd be able to answer with... Giga? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Felt like a trick question. Nope, nope, it definitely (laughs) is.
1: Okay, so it's clearly a three-stage pro you can see that alien lobster thing inside the egg. You can see mm-hmm. it jumping out of the egg. Um, and attaching itself to someone's face. Attaching itself to someone's face. Yeah, and then you can see the thing bursting out of it. Um, all, kind of, all framed within a pyramid. Yeah, it, it explains what's going to happen Mm. with the egg yeah
0: so so what do you think is it um, a good idea or bad idea to leave this in
1: uh, I think bad idea to leave this in
0: yeah I think it would have given away too much especially if you're really paying attention and you look at the thing around the border which appears to be the alien in its final state just sort of Ding. stretched um, the thing around the border okay yeah I'll give you that Um. If you look at the creature around the border, hang on. I said thing meaning a monster. No, um,
1: it has to be <laughs> the monster. <laughs> <laughs> I also said. Uh, I, I, I also said it meaning a monster earlier, and you missed it. Shit. Uh, <laughs> ding. <laughs> oh, ed- too late. <laughs> I'll edit it in. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, so you can see if you look at it, like he's got a little tail in the bottom left-hand corner. There's some kind of butt in the middle. There's a head in the top right-hand corner, and then yeah. his claws in the bottom. So it's it's all there. Um, why do you think this whole sequence with going to the pyramid, exploring the pyramid, finding the hieroglyph, all that? Why do you think all that didn't make it into the film? Uh, expensive and unnecessary. Uh I don't know I wouldn't argue it's unnecessary. I sort of like the plot as suggested because it's sort of giving you a glimpse into our character's future, right? Because it's an alien it's a ship that lands on this planet. Yeah. They go to the pyramid, they come back and they die unimaginably. Mm-hmm. Now <laughs> Now our characters have gone into that ship, seen a reference to the pyramid, gone to the pyramid. Yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, so they were going back and forth on this all the way up until, like, production of the set started. Um, and Ridley Scott w- was in two minds about whether to go with this because if they have it in, it's a three-hour-long movie.
1: Yeah, um, that was going to be my second thing that I said, actually, is that maybe the the real decision was around, would this just take too long? Yeah, so
0: the, the two things that came down to were time and budget, but mainly budget, you were right. He right. was like, this is just a whole nother level of costs. Yeah. Um. And interestingly, the pyramid does get revisited in Prometheus. Okay. So obviously the idea still was in his head, fermenting away for years. fermenting the right word there, fine, whatever. So yeah, so we got the simplified version of the plot um, as it stands, I'm going to ask you a question now. Okay. Do you think the room they're in is part of the derelict? The the room that he's lowering himself into. The room he's lowering himself into now.
1: Yeah, I I, I mean I I had that impression, and the the main reason I had that impression is because it's kind of curved like the derelict is. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, we know it's literally the same,
0: <laughs> literally yeah. the same room. Um. Yeah, there there is some contention about whether this room that he's in is a hold that the derelict has, mm. or whether it's a tunnel through to a, a a facility that the space jockeys were maintaining on the planet. Right. Um, uh With Prometheus, Ridley Scott seems to have come down on the it's part of it's part of the hold of the ship right. side. But up until it was made, he was sort of on the other side. It was like a sort of secret facility that. The thing had landed on top of, so um, um, I don't know. It's just a thing to talk about in this podcast about talking about aliens. Sorry, I'm, I'm... <laughs> Can't fucking ding me, you little shit. I can, and I will. Kane says it's full of leathery objects like eggs or something.
1: Oh, and not just like eggs, though, are they? <laughs> Extremely similar to eggs. Yeah. Um, and I just think in general, I forgot to mention this during the last session, is that it, he's much more curious about this whole situation than, than the others. Um, especially um, Lambert, who just wants to get out of there. Um, like even before they've gone anywhere, like, she, should... <laughs> she wants to go back
0: before they've left. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, um, Kane is described in the novelization as a notorious rainbow chaser, which um, means something different now, but uh, contextually <laughs> in the seventies meant someone who he's he's always looking for like the next big thing. Maybe he'll, this will be the thing that will make him rich. This is his one big find,
1: right? Uh, it definitely seems much more enthusiastic about this expedition than than either of the others, really. They made a hundred and thirty eggs for this scene, hmm you don't in- really get the impression that they did that, do you? I don't know. I mean there are a lot of eggs around him. you see a lot of them, but I would not have guessed hundred and eighty if you'd asked me how many eggs there were used in this scene, I would have said maybe maybe fifty a hundred and a hundred and eighty would be wrong because it's a hundred
0: and thirty uh, but <laughs> Um, but yeah, um, I, I do get what you mean. Like a lot of them are close shots from his helmet, which I mean, you could just keep moving the eggs around, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. It seems like that. That almost feels excessive. Mm, it's, it's done the... for. It's done
0: for the distance shots where he's um. Yeah. He's um, there's one hero egg, which is the egg he interacts with. <laughs> yes. Mm. The the egg we're all rooting for. <laughs> <laughs> Kane investigates the glowing mist surrounding the eggs.
1: Yeah, I, I was never really clear whether this was supposed to be some sort of biological thing or something technological or, or what this was supposed to be. Um,
0: again, it's not entirely clear, but the, the sort of vibe from the original script is that this is like a... Um, uh, some sort of biological preservation system and his presence has set it off, like, you know, he's broken the beam and uh, that's what's allowing these eggs to quicken to life
1: Right, okay I hadn't really put those two things together but it makes sense now that you say it, yeah
0: Yeah, I mean, like, like, like they, they certainly draw attention to the fact where he's like, there's a layer of mist that reacts when broken and he's putting his hand through it and they've yeah. got that rising theremin sting, I think that's a theremin that they're doing there um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure, but there, there's some sort of interesting sound, yeah. It's like a ringing sound. Yeah. The glowing mist here is a laser, a very powerful laser at the back of the set, uh, drawing a blue beam across it.
1: Yeah, I I, I kind of got that vibe from it, and that, that's what, what made me think it was maybe uh, some kind of technological thing, but I think it makes more sense that it's biological, because why would they have that otherwise? This mm. would be my question. Yeah, well, I mean, um, you've
0: actually gone an interesting way, because it's it's uh, an unanswered question, I guess, is, are the eggs producing this effect, or is it a feature of the hold?
1: Right. Mm. And I, I I always thought that whatever it was, it was linked to the presence of the eggs.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was—I've always gone the other way. Actually, I thought it was like a feature of the whole, like you know, this is some gigantic
1: fridge basically to keep them fresh until they're ready. Oh, right. So, so you're suggesting that maybe they put the eggs there just because it was an ideal place for, yeah, it because it had this feature. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's plausible. Yeah.
0: Um, back to the laser briefly. Uh, a common story about it is that the production borrowed it from the band The Who. Who were testing out the lasers for their stage show in another soundstage at Shepperton? <laughs> Kane falls down a ridge, concerning everyone back on the surface.
1: Yeah, um, so that's uh, that, that's mistake number one in the in this sequence. Um, but, I, uh, you know, anyone can fall. I can't think too harshly with him of him just for falling. You know? No, that's not true. Um. Yeah, yeah, anyone could
0: make a series of mistakes uh, um, yeah. He kneels close to examine an egg
1: <laughs> And sure <I> mean, <laughs> you, at, the, at this point, you've got no real reason to think That these eggs are going to do anything much They've been there for um For many, many years and everything mm. around looks dead You're going to want to have a, a little look at the eggs then, I suppose
0: Uh, My note here just says, uh,
1: this doesn't seem cool. (laughs) No, but it it doesn't seem cool, but up to this point, I'm like, yeah, okay, these are the actions of a, a, a kind of rational, curious person.
0: You're taking everything in good faith. You don't know that it's trapped.
1: Right, yeah.
0: Um... People often complain about a, a similar scene in Prometheus, right, where um, they encounter a live alien. Um, it's like a, a little worm thing in a pool, uh, and it rears up at them, and it, it, it exhibits a lot of threatening behavior. And I think right. what people don't realize is that what you've just said, like the 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 creature in Prometheus, is clearly dangerous. It's alive. It's moving quickly. Um, it's reacting to the presence of the humans. Right. Whereas the eggs here just have menace. They're just there. Like, they could have been there for a million years. You know, there's no reason for him to suspect that there's any sort of organic life left in the eggs.
1: Not not at this specific second, at least. Anyway, mm. yes. Well, apart from one thing, there is that weird shot which looks like it's maybe a, a reversed, where the the liquid seems to kind of run upwards. Yeah, they the
0: egg was mounted upside down and dripping downwards. Uh, they just uh, uh, they just turned the footage upside down.
1: Oh right, they just actually turned the shot upside down, right? Okay. Yeah, I thought maybe they'd run something down the egg and then uh, 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 and then reversed it. No, but yeah. but.
0: Uh, I mean in in the scene, the egg makes a loud hiss as it starts doing this, and i I honestly always thought the um, the upwards drip was an error like in mm. like if we go back to the thing, um, there's a bit where Palmer thing jumps up onto the ceiling and a bit of the ceiling breaks off and it right. falls towards the ceiling that's an that's an error like it's not supposed to be there, but okay. they couldn't reshoot it and they couldn't fix it but this is a deliberate stylistic choice that that the egg is doing something really weird. Yeah. Like that's... you would never you would never see a drip go
1: upwards. Um yeah. So I, I feel like it's supposed to be like a hint of okay, there's this egg is active in some way because liquid doesn't do that of
0: its own accord. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You you've interacted with this, now it's yeah. reacting to you, now it has become a threat yeah or even if not a threat something to be treated much more gingerly than he does
1: yeah and i think at that i think that's the point where nothing could persuade me to get any closer to the egg Uh,
0: I would indeed move somewhat further
1: (laughs) Right, yeah that's that's the moment for me and I don't think that's just because I have seen the film Alien and I I understand that the eggs are a threat, I think even without that knowledge at that point I'm like no, this is too weird, I'm out (laughs) at at that point (laughs) Inside the egg he sees
0: a twitching, moving object with organic life.
1: Yeah. And you can't really see it, uh, clearly at this stage, but you can kind of see that it's weird and spindly and slightly spidery. There's something yeah, in that, in that vein about it, which again is going to make me mope out of this whole situation.
0: Yeah. And it's, uh, it's got a sort of twitchy jiggly vibe going on here. Yeah. Um, very interesting, it becomes translucent and lit up so he can see inside it. I mean, if anything was to clue you into the fact that it was awake now, like it brightly lighting up and twitching is probably going to be that, right?
1: Yeah, so if we start getting into Kane's mistakes here, he's given a lot of chances here to not get closer <laughs> to the egg. Um, the organic life here
0: is uh, director Ridley Scott lying on his back behind the egg. Uh, with his hands inside it gently wiggling the contents. Um, (laughs) The prop is a light-up egg, um, which was made mostly of glass and fiberglass, so that it would be translucent rather than completely see-through. The four petals of the egg fold open, revealing a twitching mass inside. Uh, I am in another fucking country at this point. Uh, Right, yeah. (laughs) I'm running away.
1: (laughs) Absolutely gone, right. I'd I'd be asking whoever's at the top of that hole to just tug as hard as they can (laughs) on that rope. Pull me up, pull me up, pull me up. (laughs) (laughs) Don't care what I break. (laughs) Um.
0: The original Giga Egg uh, had a vagina-like opening on top with inner and outer labia, Um, but almost everyone at the production aside from Giga had concerns, (laughs) so they doubled it up into a cross shape.
1: Yes, um, so with the uh, greatest of respect for Giga, I do think that it is possible to be a little too on the nose with your imagery. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> also the, just the other thing about that is that I, I find that that kind of petal like idea creepier because it it, it feels like it's uh, it's acting like a flower but also it's some sort of animal and there's something that's just very mm. odd about that. Yeah. Kane peers into the egg. So, um, this is pretty grim. (laughs) Yeah, um, all I'm gonna say, because I feel like we've made our point pretty well by this point, (laughs) is that Cain should not have peered into the egg. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, inside the egg is a cow's stomach and various other tripe. Um, the veiny stuff on top, um, is called Nottingham Lace, uh, which is the covering of a pig's tongue lovely movies are gross yeah Um, suddenly a hand shaped creature leaps out and fixes itself to the front of his helmet
1: so this happens very quickly so I wasn't sure whether um, the helmet was shown to break at this point or not Mm. Uh, you can sort of see something happening to the helmet if
0: you uh, play it back frame by frame which of course I have um uh, even though it's actually very fast here uh, this footage is actually slowed down and stretched because the hydraulic mechanism fired the facehugger out in like a third of a second oh wow uh, so they they had to they had to slow down to show it. <laughs> Kane collapses to the ground you don't even really see them but there's a handful of frames here from Kane's point of view of the helmet breaking and a tube coming out from the face hugger down the middle towards his mouth, mm. uh, and the tube was a sheep intestine of all things. Um, but there's only like six frames of it happening. I went back and counted them, um, but you can see them if you're paying if you're paying attention for it. It's like it's there. The fingers on his mouth, then the helmet breaks and the the tube is coming towards his mouth, like right towards you, the audience. But it's only like. It's like six frames. It's like a fraction of a second.
1: Yeah, I, I have never noticed that. Yeah, no, I, the times that we just watched it.
0: Yeah, I, I, I honestly, I don't think I've ever really consciously noticed it. Huh. Um, but going back to it after like seeing it in the documentaries and where Ridley Scott is talking about it, um, he's talking about that specific shot as one he wanted in, like you know, of the the thing with it coming towards his mouth, ding, hmm. um, but um. Oh, I, I dinged myself, and I uh, have lost my train of thought. Um, but yeah, you can consciously see it if you if you watch the scene back, you can see it. But um, I think it's really something that just sort of like
1: you take in subconsciously, rather than what you're actually seeing. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to try and remember to pay pay attention next time I'm watching this. Hmm. We cut back to the exterior of the derelict. It's but, it's kind of an interesting choice, I guess. Here that they they don't really cover any of the immediate aftermath of this. Mm. They just get they they go straight back to and now they head back. Yeah, I mean this this feels this feels like a well, and it is a
0: gore discretion shot, right? Something bad happens to him. The right. audience jumps because there's a scare, and then we're outside looking at yeah. the outside of the derelict, and the wind is howling, and everything is as it was, you know, an hour ago, two hours ago when they came in. Yeah. Back on the Nostromo, Ash waits for news. The the little blister on the outside of the ship there that he's in was inspired by the gun blisters on the Wellington bomber.
1: All right. Mm.
0: Outside, he sees two crew returning, dragging a third behind them. Lambert and Dallas load Kane onto the lift and then back into the airlock. Dallas
1: and Ripley argue about letting the compromised Kane back on board. Something that wasn't clear to me at this point is who actually has the authority in in this situation. Because obviously Dallas is the captain, but Mm. uh, Ripley has some kind of jurisdiction in the in this area as well so I, it wasn't clear to me who had the say so about whether the airlock opens or not so you see it's it's more clear
0: in the script i don't know i can't remember honestly whether they bring it up uh later um i i know that uh, dallas and ripley have a little shout about this later but i can't remember whether that's in the director's cut or not mm.
1: um
0: but yeah dallas only has He has captain's authority when he's on the ship. Right. And and he's not on the ship. He's in the airlock. So uh, Ripley is in command. So it's Ripley's call. Um, Dallas is ordering her to open the airlock and Ripley's sort of quite rightly saying, "Um, there's
1: like a protocol for this. Right. (laughs) Uh, And uh, yeah, that's the impression that I got as well. I feel like at this point, Ripley had the authority to refuse to do this. Mm. And uh, I guess the reason that that is important is because of what happens next. Mm.
0: I just have a note here that says oh boy, is this whole speech about not breaking quarantine Uh, well-timed. Yeah. (laughs) Ash opens the inner lock, letting them in. Ash is a naughty boy, isn't he? (laughs)
1: Mm. Right. So, I mean, if Dallas had the uh, authority, then this could be viewed as just following his captain's orders. Mm. Uh, If Ripley has the authority, which I believe Ripley does have the authority in that situation, then he's just directly um, going against that. And to me, this is like the first overt sign of Ash's separate agenda so everything else has been quite subtle but here even though he was very happy to let them be in danger out on the derelict now inexplicably he's just very happy to bring the danger inside Mm. yeah he's um
0: he's much more overt now yeah Yeah, I mean, Ash is effectively performing a mutiny here, isn't he? I mean, uh, Ripley is in command. Uh, He has ignored her orders. Um, But then Dallas is back on the ship, so I guess it's back to him. (laughs) Yeah. We cut to the medical bay where Ash is cutting Kane's helmet open. The creature is fully revealed. An eight-fingered hand covering his face with a tail wrapped around his neck. So um, the Facehugger was the first creature Giga designed for the production, uh, and originally it was like a long squid with a thick rubber tail that um, it had a beak at one end that went into your mouth, um, and then that whole thing was simplified to like a smaller sort of squid with um, a long sort of tentacle that went over the back of your head, So th- so that's... Sort of like a proto version of the Facehugger And then finally down to the little Hand-like creature we see in the final Production mm. Ripley arrives Where the rest of the crew are watching, horrified This is actually one of the areas Where the film diverges from the Director's Cup uh, In it um, Ripley turns up and Lambert Attacks her and slaps her in the face You know, for leaving Kane out To die uh, And they have a bit of a scuffle And Parker breaks it up Right. Um, I, I mentioned this mostly because Veronica Cartwright was trying to hit Sigourney Weaver while they're filming it. Um, right. Uh, it's like so Lambert. Lambert approaches and gives Ripley a slap on the face, but Sigourney Weaver kept ducking the slap. Um, and and like none of the takes were usable. So in the in the one they actually got, Veronica Cartwright went like she was going to slap her and then backhanded her with the other hand. <laughs> um, and it, it made contact, but because Sigourney Weaver had started moving away from the slap, she basically got a full force like slap in the face with the other hand. Wow! <laughs> and um, she uh, she started crying actually because you know it hurt. Mm. Um, and you know they cut for a second, and Sigourney Weaver said that she was really disappointed in that moment, and the reason she was disappointed is because Ripley wouldn't cry, right? so they cut it more closely so that she doesn't cry from um, being hit mm. ash and dallas try to pull the creature off his face but it just squeezes him tighter
1: which which to me feels like it's a pure kind of r- r- reflex thing that is built into this rather than any kind mm. of I- I- intention I, I you d- you don't think you don't think it's reasoning you just think it's reacting yeah, I don't think it's negotiating with the others or something like that. I think it's yeah. just, it, that's just what it does when it's in this state and something tries to mess with it.
0: And uh, they were very pleased with how the effect looked of it uh, tightening up on his neck. And of course, it's just done with a bit of piano wire tied to the tail being <laughs> pulled by a crewman off scene. But it works really well, it looks very organic. Yeah. Parker wonders aloud why they don't just freeze Kane. Everyone ignores him.
1: Which, like, it is interesting, I guess. What. Uh... I I was almost going to say, would that be the normal thing to do, but this isn't really precedented. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he makes a very good point. Um,
0: And there's more of that blue-collar, white-collar stuff here in that you know, he's an engineer, and he's made a very sensible and straightforward suggestion. Like, you know, there's something here which we can't deal with, but we have the technology to freeze a human being for transport. Why don't we just go home and they can sort it out there? Um... But also, everyone just kind of ignores him. I, I think they. I think everyone sort of sees themselves as above him, like you know, because they're the the high earners on the crew, um, and he's just a lowly engineer.
1: Right, yeah, there's a sense of, oh, well, why would we even listen to that suggestion? But mm. when you think about it, probably one of yeah. the more su- sensible suggestions that are going to happen in the next couple of hours. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, the
0: fact, it's the fact that it's completely dismissed out of hand. No one no one even replies to
1: him. Yeah, no one even really acknowledges it, yeah. yeah. Ash puts Kane in a medical scanner to look inside him. Uh, so uh, they, uh, I mean, it establishes they have ways of looking inside. Yeah. Um, mm. I've always been I've always wondered whether um because of Ash's training he is able to see some some stuff going on that he chooses to keep secret at this stage.
0: Yeah, yeah, that is interesting and that is uh strongly implied in the script novelization where they're specifically seeing more of stuff happening inside Kane, but it's not resolving in the scanner. The scanner is fuzzy. Right. And um, they're trying to figure out later whether the scans were being sabotaged by Ash or whether the alien was somehow protecting itself from the scan.
1: Right. Yeah, because something that always seemed weird to me is... Wouldn't if you'd just had this thing attached wouldn't you run a few more scans <laughs> on on Kane to he's... see whether maybe for example there might be an alien growing inside of him <laughs> he's yeah. he's fine he's fine now he can go and run about the ship and play you're not getting back in the mri <laughs> right yeah it, and so now that I've seen this scene a little bit closer, I, I'm kind of th- thinking of it slightly differently. I'm thinking, oh no, no, he could, he could be hiding. He could be not mm. revealing everything that he's seeing. Yeah, I, I, just I, I letting th- some,
0: letting events elapse. I definitely agree. And there's something that will come up probably in the next episode, which um, will point that finger more firmly at him. Mm. Uh, The medical scanner prop there uh, actually had a complicated and expensive automatic hydraulic system to move it. Um, But on the day of the shot, it kept malfunctioning and Ridley Scott was going out of his mind. So the floor effects technicians dismantled it quickly, just put it on counterweights. So they had to swing it manually between the two positions. (laughs) On the scan, the creature has a tube down his throat and they argue here about what you know it's feeding him oxygen or whatever to keep him alive and uh, uh Dallas makes quite a good point you know um it, it, it's uh, sort of kills him and then works like crazy to keep him alive and you're like um he's like he's like why and i are like well it's it's not going to be for Kane's benefit
1: <laughs> yeah nothing good
0: yeah, yeah like uh, no yeah, uh, for a party uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um they decide to try to cut it off of his face. So um the face hugger here is uh held onto John Hurt's face by a large rubber band under his hairline. Alright. Um It has little air pipes running up into it to fill those sort of breathing sacks on the side. Mm. Um the uh, the bit where they're they're cutting into it, they actually had a, a whole bunch. Like, basically, it's like a a rubber finger designed to break at that point and spurt out. And right. they they made six of them, so they could they could do multiple takes. But they they got it quite quickly, so <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> didn't have to use them all. Yellow
1: acidic blood spurts from the creature and starts burning a hole in the floor. Right. So I know you have the answer for me here because. That's just the kind of person you are. Tell me how the effect of the acid is being achieved. Um, so the special effects department mixed up their own special corrosive
0: chemical, um, mm. which was a mix of acetone, cyclohexamine, chloroform, and acetic acid. Um, and they sprayed it onto a piece of styrofoam, which has been painted silver like the floor. And it just dissolves it straight away. Nice. Nice. Mm, that's it. It's good. It's it's a lovely practical effect I and mean, there's like wiring and
1: stuff in there so you can see it doing something. It's it's
0: a good um a really good effect.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's really very convincing, which I guess is because it is literally something <laughs> being corroded by acid.
0: Yeah, it's yeah.
1: it's 100% what is actually happening. Yeah. The crew chase the burning blood down from deck to deck. I don't know why I like this, but I do just kind of really like the detail of just some of the acid just going through that boot. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it's great. I do love that the the sudden hazard here, where they're all like, it's going to
1: eat through the hull. Uh, <laughs> right. So they're running from deck to deck. I'm glad they have the wit to at least pick up on the danger of that <laughs> immediately, yeah. Ah, yeah. Oh, damn. Um, but that
0: brings us to the end of this episode, this long-ass episode. Mm. Um, if only we hadn't had a 40-minute digression about games, or mints, or fish, I don't really remember.
1: Yes. <laughs> Many things were digressed into. <laughs> um,
0: I will now ask you the traditional questions of my people. <laughs> Who's infected, Peter?
1: Well, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody no, that's not true. <laughs> it's, it's Kane. Kane is
0: infected. Kane is infected. I wrote I wrote Kane before you said it. I'm sorry if you'll forgive the presumption.
1: Well, Kane is either infected or very on his way to being infected. It's not not exactly clear when the moment of infection occurs yeah he's not he's not having a good time mm, yeah <laughs> either way what happens next so I think they're gonna resolve the situation with the the acid uh, without incident so um, uh, I think they're just going to t- t- track it down to it to the point where that isn't a problem anymore I don't remember exactly what happens with the acid but I don't remember it being a a recurring point at, mm-hmm. at this stage. Uh, and then they're going to uh, finish the process of removing the face facehugger, um, which I guess they're going to do with more care now that um, they know about the acid blood. Um, and... Shortly after that, um, Kane is going to uh, apparently make a recovery, and whether we see how complete that recovery is during the next episode, I'm not sure. I feel like next episode might be where we where we lose Kane mm-hmm. or. If not that, then it'll happen at some point. Uh, maybe, maybe the end of the eight minutes will actually cut into that. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Right. So, uh, so the last question: who dies? Who dies next? You're still sticking with Kane. It's Kane, and it and it might be in the next uh, in the next eight minutes. I th- I'm going to go out on a limb and say. It is during the next eight minutes. Oh, oh, oh right. I've, I've written that down. Um, What are you thinking of the film so far, Peter? You know, that's similar to, uh, to what I said last time really is that I do uh, notice extra details during, during this process of, of looking at it so closely. And I, I do gain an extra appreciation for, uh for, for what they've done. And I, I am enjoying watching this film. It's a, uh, well-made bit of suspense it is you
0: you 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 say that but you didn't notice those six frames of the helmet cracking and the the
1: sheep's intestine crawling towards your mouth i didn't to the point that you know no no none of the times i've watched this film i've noticed that even remotely and i don't think that uh the director should have cared that much about putting it in to be honest (laughs) I, I don't know i don't know because there's a lot of little fast cuts there and it
0: like it's definitely there and it definitely like there's definitely an impression of something but it's um i i think it's just fast enough that you think something bad has happened something's come towards me and that's it and <laughs> you don't really get the detail yeah
1: you know what i will reserve judgment about that particular shot until i watch it again looking for it. <laughs>
0: So again, if any of you have any comments or questions, or if you've played a Splinter Cell game, or if you've eaten a mint, or if you own a Philishave Shave Razor, or if you've got bad breath, um, <laughs> email, email us at podcast at 8minutemovies.co.uk. Or also, go and play our game. Um, it's free, kind of. Um, yeah. And on the
1: whole mint thing, if you've ever had minty fresh breath in a stealth situation, if you've got any (laughs) um, insight into that, definitely let us know. Uh, Now I'm wondering if you could have, like, a
0: tactical mint that you'd leave somewhere else to lure someone towards it. Mm.
1: (laughs) Well, this is a game that we can make another time.
0: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. quite. Alright, um... Where can you find us on the internet? I am Kieran J. Walsh and can be found on Twitter as Kieran J. Walsh. Peter is Kestrel Pi. That's Kestrel, like the assassin from Splinter Cell Convictions Co-op Mode and Pi, like the
1: irrational number. Alright, thanks for listening to this podcast, everyone. Join us next time when we'll be discussing the next eight minutes.
0: Bye-bye. Bye.